Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rowan and the Wasteland, where we discuss film and then honor its place amongst its peers. I am the titular Rowan, and joining me today, as always, it's not warriors we need, it's the Wasteland. It's Mr. Shane Kanto. It's not warriors we need, it's wolverines we need. <laughs> and I am one. And it's wolverines we're getting, on, in, in, both, both on this call and in Deadpool 3, coming in a couple years. Yep, 2024. <laughs> yep, uh, I will be a senior in college, which blows my freaking mind. I'll be um, pro- about around the time that comes out. I'll be turning 33. Wow. Well, and then let us not think about that at this point. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, yeah. So today we are talking about uh, about the Battle of Algiers, uh, a uh, an historical drama. Um, war film, of course, that was released in 1966, um, based very heavily on, uh, on on true events. Actually, the the lead um, Ali uh, Lapointe was a real historical figure, and a lot of the other um, characters were real people um, as well. It is about the uh, it is set during 1954 and 57 uh, when guerrilla fighters of the uh, of the FLN, which is the National Liberation Front in Algeria, um, went into Algiers, uh, and their actions were met and conflicted with uh with the french paratroopers who were attempting to regain that territory uh so battle of algiers is basically about uh basically all of these forces sort of meeting in the middle and having a multi-year standoff and basically everything that happens um in between uh that um shane i i specifically chose this movie because neither of us uh had had seen it so i am curious um about your initial thoughts on the battle of algiers this felt so hyper real like there's something about this film that felt like I was just watching somebody filming an actual revolution going on. Like a documentary. And yeah. it was so uncomfortable in that way. And there is moments where they build up the tension so great. And, you know, it's like cutting between people's faces and reacting and being like, why didn't something blow up yet? Or like all those kinds of moments that are just building up that tension and... This is the kind of film that the documentarian style of it elevates it because it feels like you're stuck there in it with them. There's one scene towards the end of this film at like a protest that's just disturbing to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Near near the end was when it gets really... um just really very chaotic and, uh, and, and descends into anarchy. And, you know, like that is what revolution looks like. And, and, and that's really what this movie wanted to show us. But what's, what's really fascinating to me was that when this movie was made in 66, this was very recent history from the last decade um, that, yeah. that this was happening. And, and, and that's the consistency at which a documentary about, about such events would be turned out. And the fact that it is a very comprehensive um uh, narrative feature film is 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 just remarkable uh, to me. I mean, these days there are documentaries and fictional film, or, or rather, uh, historical fiction films about events that happen very recently all the time. But now, these days, with the with the internet and with yeah. you know and and with false information and with classified information and not knowing everything about all of these events, a movie like this probably could not be made today you know, about a war that happened that recently, just because not all of the information is going to be known. 
um, uh, you know, just de- depending on when it happened and and where it happened, I, I just find it fascinating how quickly this was turned out and how it shows both sides of the coin in in, in, in such detail. We we get a very intimate look at both the revolutionaries and at the and at the soldiers who are fighting back um, against them. And I don't honestly think this movie is taking a side necessarily. It is. It wants us to. Sh- it wants us to get a wider view of the conflict, so we can form our own opinions about it. Which I think is not something that would happen today, because everything today is so very um, opinionated to the like to the extreme. Well, yeah, it's even like because this feels such so much like a documentary. It's really hard to find a documentary that feels impartial about something, mm-hmm. and especially when it's dealing with like a hotbed issue or something like that. And this. It's so interesting with the main French character. It's like they go out of their way to find an actual revolutionary from World War Two mm-hmm. who helped that revolution and take back France. And then they're like, use that for evil. Let us oppress yeah. this group of people. And it's messed up. And that makes for a very interesting, interesting dynamic with uh Mr. Uh, fancy man with the sunglasses, mm-hmm. which is like the one image that I keep seeing. Yeah. On like posters and everything. Yeah, right? I mean, to be fair, it is a pretty fantastic and badass image. Um, it and, sure is. And he doesn't, that character doesn't even really come in until like midway through the movie. And, mm-hmm. and by God, does he make an impact on the, on, on, on the film going forward? I cannot even remember his name. Ali is the only character who I really remember like very specific details about but i know he was you know he's the big wig uh, he's the big wig in the french in the french army mm-hmm. yeah like this film just feels like you feel what's going on on the screen when you see a building blow up you're shaken you see somebody freaking out waiting for something to happen and like we don't know exactly what's happening, but we know they know exactly what's supposed to be happening. And that just makes it even more tense for us as we're sitting there like, what are they doing? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And and it's th- there is a lot happening here. This is a two hour movie that is condensing um, all like 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 all of these years and and the very end of the war into a um, into a rather comprehensive look at at at, at what is happening. And also trying to let us know, uh, rather, let us get to know all of these characters and not necessarily sympathize with them, but just understand their point of view and understand why they're doing what they're doing. The soldiers genuinely believe what they're doing is is good um, and, 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 and is for the good of the people of Algeria and Algiers. And the revolutionaries are thinking exactly the opposite. And I completely understand where all of them are coming from. And that mm-hmm. is something that, again, just doesn't really happen in, in movies today. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I like one of the, one of the, the, the lines that really stuck out to me was it's hard to start a revolution, even harder to sustain it and the hardest to win it. And I feel like this movie does a fantastic job of really showing us at like what it does to start a revolution, because we're seeing this from the character of Ali's perspective. He starts off as a petty thief and then gets recruited into this revolutionary organization. And so we see him basically every step of the way, um, which, which was just a really good perspective to have throughout the whole thing. Absolutely. And it's one of the kinds of films that keeps breaking it down throughout the film and making you experience the hard things. And you get to see 
all these moving pieces going and nobody really winning. And I feel like that's the main crux of what you get out of this is like everybody's hurting in this and because we spend time with both sides a decent amount and this film is bold enough to go there because, you know, it would be real easy to just focus on the revolutionaries and like you just have a specter of an evil invading country, but like you actually seeing their motivations or what's going on behind the scenes and why this is going this way. That gives you a lot more perspective on how we experience this story from start to finish. And it makes it more challenging for you as a viewer to be like, I don't know how to feel. Mm-hmm. And that's okay, because I'm pretty sure that's exactly what the film's trying to accomplish. Absolutely. It is. It is. I think force is a very strong word, but it is allowing us to confront the realities of war and revolution through an avenue of a a fictional film with the knowledge that this really happened or mm-hmm. that or or that something very much like it really happened so we so we know that it did happen but we are we're sort of seeing it especially with us we're seeing it with the comfort of of distance and time as well but back then i can imagine this was this would have been very difficult to watch especially for the people that were that were really involved and that were in um algiers when this actually happened um because again, this was you know this was less than ten uh, ten years after the actual conflict ended, um, and so yeah, yeah. It, I I I I mean, I can only imagine how how difficult it must been. And um, for people like me who who didn't, I don't know how much you knew about this conflict beforehand. I I knew nothing. Like like, like this movie is my jumping off point into my knowledge of this conflict, and it really does make me want to research and 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 learn more and and really look into exactly what this movie was showing us and how it related to what really happened exactly and one very very special shout out to Ennio Morricone yeah I knew uh, you were gonna do it <laughs> for this score because this movie's Italian of course Morricone was gonna show up which I also thought that was interesting that this is an Italian film mm-hmm yeah, yeah, especially because we're gonna we're gonna be counting down our top five Italian films very soon. Yeah, but um, despite being Italian produced, this is you know it takes place in Algiers, and most of the characters speak Arabic and or French, and there is one character who pops up and speaks English briefly at a press conference too. But this is four languages and and, and four really nationalities that are represented strongly here, um, which I think is just really really interesting that Italy was the country that actually made this. Yep. And you know what? Thought America was the only one that could go around the world and just like, we're going to tell people stories. Yeah. <laughs> Make them our own. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I suppose um, I should ask you, Shane, where does the Battle of Algiers fall in your overall ranking of the 21 movies that we've watched so far? So this one is at number eight. Number eight. I have it right below hard-boiled, right above this sporting life. Mm, very good, very good. Um, mine is slightly lower. Um, I have it at number 11. Um, this would be uh, above Dead Presidents and below Kajillionaire. So basically right right in the middle. I, I, I really did like this movie. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's rather accessible, especially for, for the time, and, and a really good educational tool. Um, so if you know nothing about the Battle of Algiers and, and, and this, whole, this whole conflict – 
I, I would really recommend you, you 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 check it out. And it's it's also very critically acclaimed, uh, and not a lot of people today talk about it uh, outside of deep film circles. So strong recommend, uh, strong recommend for me and, and Shane. I, I I know it's the same yeah. for you. Um, Taking you to school. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's what this podcast is for. Not really, um, but hundred uh, percent. Yeah, <laughs> I do have some fun facts before we move on to our lists. Um, this was uh, Christopher Nolan actually cited this as one of his influences for The Dark Knight. Um, uh, so, so, sorry, Dark Knight Rises makes a lot more sense, um, especially because yes. of the uh, because of the whole conflict that erupts in in Gotham City in the second half. I think it honestly it makes perfect sense and definitely a film that Christopher Nolan would have watched when he was younger and and thought I I, I should make a I should make a, a cooler movie that uh, that emulates this someday. <laughs> Sounds like Nolan. Exactly, exactly, verbatim. Um, and uh, this was also uh, not released in France until 1971, so five years afterward just because of the politics um, and, 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 and because of the, you know, there was contention over what, as we were discussing, what side does this film actually take? And, and, mm-hmm. and is it pro-Algerian or is it pro-France or is it somewhere in the middle? And so that's why it was held up uh, from, from, from release in, um, uh, in France. Additionally, resistance. <laughs> uh, another little fun release um, tidbit here. This is one of the few films in Oscar history to be a nominee in two separate non-consecutive years. Uh, I don't know why, uh, but it was uh, it, it was best foreign film nominee in '66, and then a nominee for best original screenplay and direction for 1968. Um, so I don't really know how releases work in this scenario. I think probably. Um, it, it was a foreign film nominee for 66 because it was released overseas in 66 yeah. and then not, and, and then not released in, um, in, in the U S until the following year, which is why it would qualify for 68. Um, which is so interesting because that kind of stuff happens all the time. It's released mm-hmm. overseas in a certain year, but then it'll be released early on the next year, but they'll still count it towards the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is, which is bizarre. I, I mean, not that, not that I, I, care about you know what year the oscars recognizes but i feel like nominating it in in two separate years is 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 just a bit of a i don't know just just a bit of a cheat head scratcher yeah (laughs) um but uh yeah so let us let us move on uh to our lists we are going to talk about our top five italian films uh our top five war movies and our top five films released in 1966 uh let's start off with italian cinema shane i i do believe our lists will cross over uh, a bit in this one um but uh why don't you start us off your top five italiano films so just spoiler alert <laughs> nine's not on here sorry uh daniel day lewis and guido <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, we got number five, Bicycle Thieves, or The Bicycle Thief, however you want to call this film, because I've seen it both ways. It's such an interesting film that this is all uh, just a bunch of regular people starring in this film, and really does capture like classism and stuff like that. Uh, my number four, I had to get a Dario Argento film on here somewhere, and we got Suspiria, because this is one of the weirdest movies I think I've ever watched. And I love every single second of it. Um, we're going to have a double dose of uh, Sergio Leone here. So we got Once Upon a Time in the West, which, you know, Charles Bronson is Harmonica and Jason Robards. But watching 
Henry Fonda is Frank. That blue-eyed evil man in this is so great. Um, number two, Cinema Paradiso. Speaking of beautiful scores from Ennio Morricone, just chef's kiss. Use it at my wedding. Uh, and I get emotional at the end of this movie every time I watch it. And number one, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Because it's one of my favorite films of all time. One of the greatest westerns of all time. My favorite scene in any movie is the um, the stare down at the cemetery at the end of this film. And just those spaghetti westerns really did something for me. <laughs> of course, I was not able to get to the good, uh, the bad, and the ugly. Or Once Upon a Time in the West. So unfortunately, Leone is not going to appear on my list. Neither will Argento. Suspiria was also one that I was not able to get to this week. However... I am very pleased to say that I have gotten to some of the big ones that I have been wanting to knock off my list for a while. Uh, number five is uh, is the uh, is the Battle of Algiers, um, just because I am absolutely fascinated on on how this film tackles. Um, just based on everything we, we we've talked about, I, I've I'm also fascinated on just how it, it it tackles nationality and 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 race in a very subtle way. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, incorporating multiple languages uh, and all that. Uh, number four is Umberto D, uh, which is a, uh, a neorealist film directed by uh, Vittorio De Sica, who also did Bicycle Thieves, which is number three on my list. Um, talking about neorealist cinema with with some extremely naturalistic characters because they're played by real people, and that never happens, and that's really cool. Um, so, except yeah. when Clint Eastwood casts soldiers right themselves yes that is that is a whole different ball game right there uh 11 17 to paris um but uh yeah all right uh number two is life is beautiful uh which is have you seen this shane i have yeah yeah i still dumbfounded that a rom-com for like half a movie turns into a holocaust i i went in knowing nothing this movie blew me away with a tonal shift and it still kept that tone for, 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 um, for some of the second half. It's a very weird mashup that really, really works for me. Um, and number one is cinema Paradiso. I adore this movie. I watched, uh, for my first time, I watched the director's cut, which I think is just absolutely gorgeous. And Shane, now I understand why you wanted to dance to that theme at your wedding. It just make, makes perfect sense. Yep. We, I walked out to that music. Very nice. Oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. The love theme from Cinema Paradiso is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Enough said. <laughs> Next up is war movies, which I feel like is a pretty straightforward um, definition for a category. Um, although I chose to focus on movies because there are a lot of movies that have rather like like mentions to a war, like Schindler's List. I would say is a war movie, but I'm not including it on this list because I'm including movies about that very specifically depict battles that depict the, like the war um, mm-hmm. because I feel like that makes the most sense. And, and, and mine are ranked in both um, in, in, in preference with a mix in of how it depicts the war and, and what exactly it does with it. Um, so I'll start off with my number five is Inglorious Bastards because this is a this is a very different side of uh, of, of, mm-hmm. of World War Two uh, and and one that is far more fun than what was actually uh, happening uh, on the on the front lines. Um, speaking of front lines, number four is 1917, uh, which 
I've only seen once, and I really want to go back to it because this movie floored me in yep. the theater. Not just because it was made to look like one take, but it is just a technical achievement on every, literally every single level. Mm-hmm. Number three is uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which, yes, is my favorite movie of all time. However, it is a war movie, but the war is happening in the background. The war is a backdrop for everything else that is happening. But at the same time, it informs what is happening and works very well with the characters. Um, and so that is why it is not right at the very top. Number two, surprisingly enough to me, actually, is um, the new Netflix version of All Quiet on the Western Front, which as of recording has not yet been officially released um, on the platform, but it, it is going to be there for a long time by the time that um, this 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 podcast is released. Um, yeah. I saw it at the Paris Theater in New York City a while ago. Um, well, not a while ago. This was a week ago. Uh, and I was just absolutely blown away. Um, there, was, there was a lady sitting directly behind me during this movie um, who every time that something violent happened, which this is a very violent movie. It does not sugarcoat anything about the war. Um, whenever something vaguely violent happened, she sort of did a little jump and went, oh my God, or oh Jesus, why did I have to see that? Um, which made for a rather interesting viewing experience. Um, and also she had a giant dog sitting next to her that I didn't realize was there until she left an hour and a half into the movie. Um, so that was, that was quite a, that was quite um, an interesting viewing uh, experience. But if you haven't checked out all quiet on the Western front, definitely do that. It's very visceral, very um, it's violent, but it is just one of the best depictions of war in film that I've ever seen. Uh, and number one is Apocalypse Now, because how can it not be? This is war at its, like, at its rawest and not at its finest, because I do not want to like compliment war. Um, but still, yeah, this movie is absolutely stellar. Um, I, just bought, uh, I just bought the Blu-ray for it. Um, and yeah, this movie, <clears throat> this movie is insane, and this movie is wild, and I could watch it on repeat for a long time. I think we have one overlap. Cool. Uh, I... I have a couple that aren't like directly showing the war, I guess, in like the natural sense. And also, one of them is not a real war; it's a fantasy. Ah, that works. So. <laughs> oh goddamn it! I know what you're gonna do. <laughs> it's a definitely a war movie. Yeah. So, so my number five is Braveheart, which is basically a fictional, <laughs> fictional war. Might as well be. Yep. And just love me some Braveheart. Number four, The Bridge on the River Kwai. Mm. Actually, two of my picks are about prison camps. Mm. Um, So Bridge on the River Kwai, which takes place in Southeast Asia and just absolutely stacked cast and some very interesting moral dilemmas in this film. My number three is The Great Escape, which I used to love watching this with my grandpa. Mm growing up and this is like the ensemble of the time just steve mcqueen and james gardner and richard attenborough and donald pleasance james colburn and charles bronson and just everybody else in this film my number two is inglorious bastards oh, and then yeah. the nazi killing business and business is a booming and my number one is the Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King, which All right. yep. at that point had the largest battle scene in the history of cinema. Um, the Battle of Pelnor Fields and Battle of Minas Tirith. So, mm-hmm. which 
Lord of the Rings are my favorite films. So this one worked because especially Return of the King is definitely a war film. There, there's a lot of battling in it. So you know, I thought you were going to do either either Lord of the Rings or Star Wars because Star Wars could have easily fit into this as well. Although that is like like that is a very different kind of war and one that I personally uh, would not count. But you know, however you want to interpret the category. <laughs> yeah, because we didn't say it couldn't be a fake. It couldn't be a fantasy war. Exactly. Didn't specify. So there you go. Yeah. Um. And uh, our final category is films released in 1966. Uh, Shane, would you like to go first for this one? Sure. I know I know what your number one is, and I know nothing else. <laughs> there you go. My number five is Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? And what an uncomfortable movie this is. This is impeccably directed, and Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, like, God. This is like A-plus masterclass of acting right there. Uh, my number four is The Man of All Seasons, which just the Robert Shaw performance, the Paul Schofield performance, there's some really impressive acting in this film. Um, my number three is A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which I am I watched this in Latin class in high school, and fell in love with this. I love Zero Mostel. He was one of the funniest men ever, period. And also the original Tevia, just amazing. But this Sondheim adaptation is so much fun. Number two is Persona. Because gotta have my uh, Bergman on here. <laughs> and boy, is this an experience. <laughs> and this is like... I feel like this is one of those kinds of films that like if you're like a real intense cinephile and that's like has to be on your watch list at some point. And then number one was easy. The good, the bad, the ugly and just the most impeccably created Western ever. And it has so much to say about war itself. And like I could have put that on my war, my war list, too, but like. That one would have been a little bit more of a stretch. De- right. Does depict aspects of the Civil War and deals with that, but you know when it really comes down to it, it's all about the gold. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. Morricone's score is just one of the greatest scores I think ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How can you argue with that? Um, I have never. I've not seen Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf the film, um, but I did do a. Um, I did do a, a really in-depth research project on the play. Uh, in mm-hmm. my in my oh god I think it was junior year of, uh, of 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 high school so I do know it very intimately but I can't put it on this list in good conscience mm-hmm. because I have not seen the film all the way through. Um, there you go. Yeah, but uh, mine for 1966. My number five is a film that not many people have uh, heard of. It is called The War Game. Um, it is a fictional documentary which seems like. Uh, and um, it seems like a oh god, what's the word I'm looking for? My brain is fried. It's not hyperbole. It's um, I don't know. Whatever. It just oxymoron. seems oxymoron. Yeah, exactly. Um, it just so it is a it is a BBC TV film, uh, a, a docudrama about a hypothetical nuclear attack on Britain. So very harrowing, uh, and something that I'm sure people who uh, who saw it then uh, did not appreciate, especially thinking that it could possibly be real. Um, but I watched this for my experimental documentary course last semester, uh, and this was um, it was very fascinating uh, to to look at. Um, 
so yeah, uh, this was it actually debuted in uh, in theaters uh, and then did not debut on Br- on British television until 1985. So probably best that it didn't really you know reach the masses uh, until then. Um, my number uh, number four is Black Girl. Uh, a film about colonialism, uh, very short, just 60 minutes, but very, very pointed uh, and, and, and very, very scathing. Um, so definitely this is this is a, a strong recommend uh, from me as well. Uh, number three is the Battle of Algiers for all the reasons that uh, that I've that we have mentioned today. Um, just a just an incredibly detailed look um, into this under like under valued i get i i suppose um conflict uh number two is uh, is is persona ingmar bergman's very very strange uh introspection into the human soul uh watch mm-hmm. this one last summer uh and number one i had to i had to put it on here it's only 25 minutes but it's how the grinch stole christmas one of the best classic animated serials of all time um i adore this i haven't seen it in a while but i will keep on going back to it uh as much as i can um i i love the jim carrey grinch but this one is just it's just too iconic and it's, it is just far too classic holly holiday who be what and um the narration on top of everything is just immaculate very very iconic um yep but Carl uh, Boris Are you ready and... for the mean one, the new horror thriller coming out of the Grinch this Christmas? You know, I'll see it. Um, <laughs> I, I I will say I'm more excited for Violent Night, starring David Harbour and written by the same guys who wrote Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but uh, <clears throat> you know, there could be room in my heart for all of it. It might have to grow a few sizes, but I think uh, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of room there. Um, there you go. You so. Uh, yeah, so that was 1966. Um, and uh, Shane, I want you to uh, let us know what we are watching for next week. It is one that I've wanted to knock off my list for a while, and I know that it's one of yours as well. We will be watching Speed Racer from the Wachowskis. And this is a film that I've heard horrible things from. I've heard people tell me it's one of the greatest films they've ever watched. And I'm intrigued. So we're going to give it a try here on Rowan of the Waste. It is one of my roommate's favorite movies, and so I look forward to watching it with him. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Um, so I uh, want to thank you all very, very much uh, for listening to this episode. Shane, where can the people find you if they want to hear more? You can go to the Wasteland Review YouTube channel and subscribe on my channel and see all the different kinds of series that I'm doing. And probably by the time this releases, I'll have a new director to be announcing for welcome to the wasteland show after i wrap up spielberg at the end of this year um follow my instagram the wasteland reviewer and all the other fun stuff that i do between sif pop and scribe i haven't been able to do as much lately because this semester is kicking my ass but you know we do what we can of course of course well rowan in the wasteland if there is if there's a guarantee of anything Rowan in the Wasteland will remain uh, will will remain strong. Uh, you can find me at theleniencritic.com. That's L-E-N-I-E-N-T, critic. Um, by the time this comes out, Shane and I will have met in person for the very first time. Yes. Uh, it is going to be absolutely glorious. We'll have to put something on, uh, something on Instagram. Rowan in the Wasteland, finally meet. 
Um, yep. But uh, yeah, yeah. So that's going to be exciting. We're going to see Black Adam and Banshees of Inna Sharon, which I, both of which I'm excited for, but for different reasons. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. R- Ronan in the Wasteland will uh, will be back next week talking about Speed Racer. Uh, thank you all again for listening. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. <laughs>